0: Hi, folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the thing we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, February the 20th. I think that's right. February the 20th, 2018. This is episode 2166 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, I was going to do my feedback show today since I didn't do it yesterday. Well, we're going to roll with the punches here. The punches just keep coming in 2018, man. Um, So last night, about 4 o'clock in the morning, the power went out. And uh, not that incredibly a big deal there, but when I came into my office this morning after the power came back on, my primary computer that I do uh, the show with, my production machine, wouldn't turn on, dead, to the world, no power. Whatsoever, I uh, found a pretty good local company. This guy's going to come out and see if it's just a power supply, which is probably what it is. Be here about 1 o'clock and fix that for me. But I, I, I can't wait till then to get started. So we'll go with the regular schedule Tuesday, just Jack show. And I got an email this morning that, um, well, it inspired this show. And what this show is going to be called is a new look at lifestyle design. I'm going to talk about basically... Well, getting your life in order and living the best life you can with what you have in front of you and we talk about lifestyle design a lot here at the survival podcast and kind of in the intro today i want to I want to kind of point out to you why this is a survival topic um, A lot of it has to do with when you when you live by a design lifestyle, you absolutely do better with money and you know, regardless of whatever people want to believe or hope in their hearts today, we, we pay for things with money. We do things with money. Uh, a lot of how we win or lose in life has to do with how we win or lose with money. So just on an economic standpoint alone, but there's a bigger reason. It's it's truly a survival topic. I think a lot of people in this country um, are unaware of what the biggest killer uh, in, in our lives is. And a killer of both human beings and taking lives, and destroying and killing families. Because people will say, well, you know, there's medical errors and cancer and heart disease and at different age brackets, we see different things as the number one cause of death. But in the end, I think almost all of them, not all of them, but almost all of them, because if you're in a car wreck and it's just an accident, a fate, then I don't think this applies. But otherwise, I think the number one killer in our, our lives and our families is stress, it's stress because the person that's maybe not living the most healthy life but is relatively stress-free is probably less likely if everything else is equal equal to have a heart attack than the person that has all of those same equivalent problems plus a lot of stress in their life and that doesn't give you license to go out and live uh, with no health concerns in your life in fact we'll talk about some of those things today but in the end stress is a killer and I, I do believe that it is the number one killer in our lives. It also leads to making more and more poor choices and therefore compounds uh, you know, what we call a health problem. So the person that's stressed out drinks more, smokes more, doesn't exercise, etc., and it's like a, a self-replicating cycle. Then on the other side of it, if we look at marriages and marriages falling apart, we generally look at uh, economic problems or infidelity as the two things that cause marriages to fall apart. But what are the main things that cause that to happen? It's one form or another of stress. Economic problems alone are stressful. And then I think it's a lot of times as we get into stress in our lives, we start seeking some sort of solace in something else. And a lot of times that might lead to something else. So when it comes down to survival survival of the family unit, survival of the individual as well. I think the reduction of stress is is one of the primary things we can do in our lives to improve the quality of our lives and and to live better lives and to live longer lives and to stay together as families. So I, I don't think there could be more of a survival topic than lifestyle design because I think it is the number one way to address the issue of stress and many other things. We'll talk about all of that and more. And just a bit. Before we do, let's take a look at a year in history. Something we haven't done for a while as we've kind of had interruptions to our regularly scheduled programming. Uh, but it's given maybe David Verne and Southpaw been a bit of a break. Uh, they do have one for us for the year 101. We are up to the year 101 in history. The Dacian War. In March, Trajan asked the Senate to declare war on Dacia. Trajan, of course, has been here a while, the current Emperor of Rome. Uh, and gratified that he deferred to him They unanimously supported the war. As soon as Trajan arrived to personally direct the war, the Romans crossed the Danube on two pontoon bridges and entered Dacia with little resistance. The Dacian king, Debaiculus, was eager to test his expanded army and hoped he could defeat the Romans and hold them off permanently. Trajan was much different than Domitian, whose war ended in disaster, and the legions were able to resist Dacian assaults on their marching forts Skirmishes were fought throughout the year and the legions managed to recapture the battle standard of 5th legion which had been massacred during the previous war. Both sides met at the Pass of Tope, the site of two battles in the last war. The battle was a hard fought affair with the Romans winning but so many men were lost. that Trajan pulled back in Roman territory across the Danube to reorganize during winter. My take by David Verne. The war was officially waged to restore Roman honor after humiliating defeat during Domitian's reign but it had much more to do with Dossier's large mineral mines. The state treasury was still shaky after Domitian's reign and an influx of funds was badly needed. So one nation invades another nation because they want to extract the wealth that they have. History does not always repeat itself but it does always rhyme and we'll, we'll leave it at that today. I want to remind you guys, if you like this show and the work that I do, one of the ways you can support us is by becoming a member of what I call the Members Support Brigade. Uh, if you do that, you get discounts on a lot of really great stuff that will more than pay for your membership. And you support the show at about $0.18.3 cents an episode to learn more. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members uh, in the tab at the top of the site. Uh, and uh, you can learn more about how to sign up and become a member. With that... Let's go ahead and get into this, uh, the show topic today. Let me read you the email uh, that, that you know it, again, it's kind of pushed me to this topic today. I needed one, and sometimes when you need something, if you're doing things right in life, synchronicity brings it to you. So This comes from Ryan. Ryan says, how permaculture principles are improving my life, a lesson for other listeners. Details. I wanted to thank you for your focus on permaculture as well as design science through your work and Toby Hemingway's books it's starting to reshape my life. I'm turning 40 this year and in the past five years I've seen myself become pretty unhealthy. I drink too much, I eat too much, junk, and wasting too much time on TV. But it hit me a few months ago when thinking about leverage points. Instead of a resolution to change these behaviors I made one simple change that has drastically reduced all three habits with very little effort on my part. You see having three young children, a spouse, and career I need some time to myself In order to stay sane, brother, I hear you, I hear you. But as time is in short supply, I'd take care of all my responsibilities throughout the day, then stay up to unwind for a few hours every night. This is when all my unhealthy habits were coming out. So the change I made was to shift my personal time to the mornings. Now I go to bed with my wife and find we're communicating more than we had been. I get up at 4.30 a.m., but instead of two hours of booze, sweets, and TV, it's coffee, exercise, and various projects. All with one simple change of going to bed at a different time. I feel better physically and mentally, have a better marriage, and I'm starting to look better to boot. Maybe you could think about doing a show on how other listeners could apply permaculture concepts not just to their preparedness projects but to themselves directly. As you say, the best investing you can do is investing in yourself. All the best and thanks again from soon to renew MSB or Ryan. Well, Ryan, thank you for your support and for your email. And it really was probably what I needed to hear today to put me on track to do this topic. It's one I've been kicking around for a while, but I really haven't uh, made the time to do this uh, show. It's been a rocky start to the year. And part of it, I probably need to do this show for myself because even though these are tenants that I live by, what happens over time is we all drift, we all backslide to things that we, uh, we kind of corrected in our life and then we find ourselves doing them again. And it's just because we're human beings and, and that's how human beings work. Uh, so it's, it's a good idea every once in a while To kind of just put things back into uh, perspective as it were I do want to start out though with um, What Ryan had to say about getting up so early And I used to get up earlier than that when I was building this show Because I needed time to do work I didn't do it for the same reason Ryan did But I, I know it's hard, at least it's hard at first And you think, well, Ryan's getting less sleep now No, Ryan's getting the same amount of hours in bed that he always got. He's just changed the ratio. Because instead of going to bed two hours later so he can have his personal time, he's going to bed when when the wife goes to bed and he's getting up two hours earlier. So that's the same amount of rack time. But it is hard. I remember when I made this decision when I was building this show and I said, Jack, if you're going to do this, You're going to have to, like, the first couple weeks, you just kind of wing it and and see where things are going. But once I realized, like, this is valid, this is something I want to do, this is something I want to build into a business, this is a change I want to make in my life, you got to start treating this like a business. You can't just wing it. You've got to to put some planning into the shows. Uh, You've got to come up with a, a more organized format. You've got to develop a revenue model. You've got to develop a timeline so that you're not committing you know, the sin of what I call intellectual masturbation. One day, man, this is going to be what I do for a living. But if you have no plan to get there, no, it's not. And so I made a decision to start getting up about 4 o'clock in the morning. And let me tell you, it's hard the first couple of days. It's very, very hard. Because you're asleep. It's dark. The house is quiet. And it's it's about that time in the morning when your body has really reached Full state of relaxation. And I think you find this, until you get a pattern of waking up at a specific time every day, you find this to be the case no matter when. Like once you're really out, like when you wake up and you're not ready to get out of bed yet, your body just is loose and relaxed and it feels so good and you, you don't want to get up. But there's, there's a fundamental component to the human being that's, that's known as circadian rhythm. C I R C A D I A N circadian rhythm. What is that? Circadian means about a day, and circadian rhythm is if we live consistently with when we go to bed, when we wake up, things like that, um, we develop habits, and you find yourself not really having to set an alarm clock anymore. You might do it as a as a fallback as a safeguard if you have somewhere you have to be or something that needs to be done, but you just find you you get up every day at a certain time. For me, that's much later in the day now. And maybe I need to start waking up a bit earlier again. But it's generally about the time that my wife wakes up to go get the kids. And I find myself just, before she gets out of bed, I get up, maybe go to the bathroom, walk around the house a little bit. I might even go lay back down, but I'm going to get up at that time every day. Unless, you know, I've just come back from a trip and I'm totally exhausted. For some reason, I was up really late, something like that. If I go to bed at a reasonable hour, then I'm going to get up at about you know quarter to seven every morning. I'm just going to get up. Uh, even if I don't get up, I'm going to wake up. And that's because I've been doing it for so long. It's become my circadian rhythm. The body knows this is the time to get up. So if you can get over that initial adjustment in that one thing, it gets easier and easier to where you almost can't stay in bed. And I'm going to actually talk about circadian rhythm in one of my steps uh, as, as we go down through them. But what I came up with today are 15 simple steps for a better designed life. And as I go into them, I want to talk about why you have to design your life. And I've I've talked about this before, but I'll I'll never stop. Because people really need to understand this. This is like one of the most important keys to winning in life. If you don't design your life, your life has been designed for you. And what I mean by that is we can look at people of various socioeconomic status and we can describe what their life will look like from cradle to grave, unless they make some leap in class or something like that, uh, with, with scary accuracy, I- including things like how much debt they'll have when they retire, how much money they'll have when they retire, uh, and, and their average age of death. And you say, well, the average age of death is known. It's a CDC number, and males is this, and females are that. No, actually, that, that number is, is quite variable. Sure, it comes out to an aggregate average. But when we look at people's socioeconomic status, we can say that you know, barring something like some cancer out of left field or something, the average person in this you know age demographic will actually live to be about eighty-four, but be dead broke. Now I want you to think about this: if if we can do that, if we can you know just basically look at a person and determine where they are at from a socioeconomic status. And, and with, with spooky accuracy, say this is what their life will probably look like. This is the odds that they'll stay married. This is the number of times they probably will get married. Uh, number of kids they'll have. Type of car they'll drive. Type of school they'll go to or will not go to. Uh, type of house they'll live in. How many times they'll move. Now, if, if we can, and we can wh- what does that mean? Does that mean that's just how things are? Or does that mean that there's a pattern that's been established? by the people that have set up our society. The people that govern our society, the financial elites and the governmental elites have created a system that, that causes this. And I won't get into what, what that system is called or anything today because it doesn't matter. We don't need any polarizing politics. The fact that it works out that way tells you that. So what that means is that you have two choices. You either design a lifestyle that you want or you walk the path that's been designed for you. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't like the second option at all. I mean, I, I have, like, complete seething, loathing hatred to think that somebody else somewhere gets to decide what type of life I'm going to have. Um, I, I'm not okay with that. And I, I'm never going to be okay with that. And, and, I, you know, if you want to be, well, that's fine. But I, 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 I don't think you should be. I think it should be almost a little bit scary that we have a system that that begins quite honestly with our system of education that's designed to program people into accepting their role in life and going forward with it. Because that way, to quote an old euphemism, the trains run on time. So it doesn't matter whether it's good or it's bad or it's best or it's mediocre or whatever it is. If people stick to the pattern then the people that design systems in society know what they're dealing with and that's how they look at it and it's not a conspiracy it just is in fact most you know never attribute that to malice which can be explained through incompetence and i would also say explained through happenstance that i think people that are running things have just accepted this is how things are and and that's fine and many of them are part of this formula themselves but we can break this formula, and we break it with simple decisions and choices of what to do in our life. And here's here's 15 of them and my thoughts on them. The first one, if you read it, you probably will not know what it means. You'll probably think it means like a a staycation at home or something like that, or a, a half-ass vacation. But I call it taking a fakeation once a month or at least once a quarter. What's a vacation with an F? Fakeation well it's it's not about going anywhere though you might or taking some time off though you might it's about what we do when we are going, coming up on a vacation with our lives one of the reasons that taking a vacation is so valuable isn't just the time away and the separation and doing something you really love hopefully with someone you really love it's that we clear the plate we clear the deck there's a a cleansing that happens when we take a vacation. Let's let's talk about a typical vacation. So, uh, you got a vacation coming up. It's going to start on Thursday afternoon. It's going to be your last day of work, and you're not coming back till the following Monday. Like, I don't mean a long weekend. I mean whole week in advance. Like you've you've decked it out right. You know, you bookend it with weekends. You get an extra Friday. You know, um, you're going to go away, and you're not going to be home, and you're not going to be at the office, and that means that. No one's going to be able to rely on you for that period of time. And you know even if you're going to do a little bit of this or that away from, from the deck, you're going to be gone. So what happens? Well, you run your week entirely differently. If there is a meeting that you're going to take that really isn't going to be productive, you cancel it. You make a list of all the things that have got to be done for you to go on vacation. And everything else plays second fiddle to that, even if they're things that you'd like to get done. And you somehow you get them done. You probably work a couple extra hours that week, uh, you know, on Tuesday or Thursday. And if you're smart, you do the extra hours on like Tuesday and Wednesday. And you actually cut out a bit early on Thursday. And when you walk out of the door Thursday, you say, and I'm going to use a word I don't use online. Some of you are going to find it to be an offensive word. I'm warning you, here it comes. You walk out the door and you say, fuck it. Okay? Fuck it. I'm done. I've done what I can do. I am going to go enjoy this time off. I'm done. A vacation is when you say, next week, I'm going to run that week like I'm going on vacation Thursday afternoon. I might even work Friday. I don't know. But I'm going to pretend that I'm not. And I am going to hump through that week. And I am going to clear the deck. I'm gonna get everything off my table. I'm gonna get it off my table early. I'll put a couple extra hours in, but I'm gonna do this as though Friday morning, I'm getting on a plane and heading off to Fiji. And I'm not gonna see any of these people and any of this shit for a week. So I'm not gonna be doing it from a standpoint of, I just don't care. I can't afford to have to care. I'm gonna knock this shit out. And it's amazing what happens. And maybe you take a day off and take your little staycation or take a little day trip or something like that with it. But that's not why I'm suggesting it. I'm suggesting have at least once a quarter where you clear the deck. There's nothing left. It's all done. Now, it's not everything's done, but everything that has to be done is done. If you left for a week, it would be okay. Might not be optimum, but it would be, it never is, is it? But I want you to think about the last time you took a vacation like I'm talking about. What did you do the two to three days leading up to it? Now, if you work a job where you punch a time clock in, you punch a time clock out, you work on an assembly line or or something like that, and you don't have a lot of discretion in your day, and you just get vacation time, this may not make as much sense to you. But then what I want you to think about is, well, how did you manage your home life coming up to a vacation? Certain things had to be done with the kids. Certain things had to be done with the, you know, getting the house ready before you could leave for a week. You do that. And you just take everything that you were going to worry about for the next week, and it's gone. It's done. Now, I've heard like self-help gurus and shit like that talk about this concept. And they say, live every week like you're taking vacation on Friday. Uh, Yet, yeah, it will be the opposite of, of reducing stress. You, you will be in a hyper-stressed state all the time. You have to have a median that you operate at. But what I'm suggesting is once every month or two months or three months, you come up out of that median to a new level of performance, clear the deck. It will make your life better. Then I think on a daily basis, and this is one I find myself constantly backsliding from, and it's why I have so much shit going on that's all half done. And I know if I can discipline myself to do this, that, that a lot of that goes away. And it, it's, it's exactly how we do our vacations, by the way, right? Our vacations and vacations is we create lists based on priority and cross things off daily. So you should, at least every Monday, sit down, and I don't mean in your business or your job, but also in your home, your homestead, your life, and you make a list of everything that needs to get done. And you put those lists in orders of priority. Shit that must get done. Like, if I don't do this, I'm going to lose a client or I'm going to get fired. Or if it's a homestead thing, if I don't do this, something's going to die. Right? If I don't take care of this, my livestock's going to die. If I don't take care of this, my kid's going to get kicked out of school. If I don't take care of this, my kid's going to flunk out of school. If I don't take care of this, my boss is going to ride my ass, write me up, and maybe I won't get fired, but I'm close. Right? These are things that have to get done. Then there's things like, I would be much better served by the end of the week if these things were done than if they're not. And then your third level is, this is all the other shit on my radar. That alone will help you in so many ways. Because then all you have to do in the morning is look at your list and say, Yeah, I still have stuff here. And that means that these things have got to get done before I move on to the middle and the end. And I'm going to tell you what you're going to find out when you do this. The stuff that has to get done is almost going to inevitably be the things you least want to do. Okay, The reason that's the case is things that have to get done that you don't really mind doing never get on the list because you do them immediately. It's always the shit that like, man, I really don't... So what we do in our lives is we live our lives ass-backwards. We take this stuff we know has to be done and we push it to Wednesday, Thursday, Friday or Saturday if we work Saturdays. And the stuff that we... Need sorta of, kinda to get done but we don't mind doing it we do that on Monday, Tuesday which means our week gets progressively worse because we go from I don't mind doing this to I really wish I didn't have to do this but I have to or I'm gonna get fired the kid's gonna get kicked out of school whatever right? if we work it the other way around the week gets progressively better the things I least wanna do get done therefore everything I need to do is more and more preferable that I get it done And I know that sounds like overly simplistic, but it works. And I recommend you start practicing it. Then I also think we all need to create some sort of prayer or meditation time in our lives. I'm not religious, but I know that, you know, I've looked at members of my family that were. And I've always found that, for instance, both of my grandmothers were big on prayer that it gave them a sense of centering and peace to pray. As I grew up and I moved away from religion, I found my path as a deist, and please don't try to save me. I'm not going to try to pull you out of what you believe. I, you know, We all find our own path. But as I, as I found my way out of it, I find that it's much the same problem we have in our schools since the 60s. I keep hearing people say we should bring prayer back to school, that all of these problems in our schools happened, we took prayer out of school in the 60s. Well, whose prayer? Whose prayer should we bring back to the, you know, the the classroom? Should, should my child, who is, let's say, if I was Jewish, be compelled to participate in Christian prayer? Should your child that's Christian be compelled to participate in some sort of a Muslim prayer? Doesn't feel very good now when it's you on the other end. Of it. right? See, I, I, I do believe that it is right that we separated church and state, the way it was designed to be. And again, if we didn't have state-run schools, you could pick whatever school you want that had whatever religious component to it that you wanted it to, but we don't. But what we didn't do is we didn't replace that ethics that comes with following any good religion with something else. Now, when I was a kid, they called it citizenship, and you got a citizenship grade, but that just meant... You did what the hell you were told to do. We didn't come up with something to replace the concept of this is a centering point upon which we're going to base our lives, an ethics, a morality. That's a subject for another day with schools. But I think that if, in many instances, people that choose to no longer practice a religion, we don't put something ritualistic, meditative into our lives And that can be just sitting quietly and contemplating the beauty of a tree. It can be taking a walk in the woods. But it has to be more than just taking a walk in the woods. So we're actually going to talk about things like that in a bit. But what I mean is to actually consider your place in the world. Because that's what prayer in many ways is. Prayer is a contemplation of your place in the world. If you're submitting to your version of God, then you're contemplating your place as that submissive being before a creator. But if you're not of that persuasion, then you're also contemplating your place as a human being. What is my place here? What role do I serve? What is my place as a father or a mother, a brother or a sister, as a teacher, as a student? And I think we really need to have something in our life that is either prayer-like or meditative that could be done with Eastern arts, like uh, martial arts actually are incredibly meditative, especially the softer styles like Tai Chi, Kijong, which is, Kijong is not really a martial art, but it is, in my view anyway, uh, or yoga. And, and I know some people are like, that's satanic. Or You believe whatever you want, man. You do your thing. I'm saying you need to have something in your life like that. And then the next step, which kind of fits right in with that, is some things in your life should be ritualistic and but but it doesn't have to be this prayer or meditative thing. And when I say ritualistic, what I really mean is on schedule and it doesn't even matter what. So there should be at least a few things in your day. I do this at this time this way. Now I don't mean to the point where you're completely predictable and somebody can say, well at four o'clock he'll be here and at five o'clock he'll be there. Um, But people that do have some schedule in their life, they are generally happier and they live longer. Because it gives you a sense of purpose, and it gives you an anchoring point. It also gives you an extraction point. So if you have a rule, let's say, at 3 o'clock, I get up from my desk, I take a 15-minute break, and I take a walk somewhere. Then when 3 o'clock comes, unless somebody's going to die, unless you're going to get fired... It's 3 o'clock. At 3 o'clock, I take my walk. Bye. Now, I know not everybody has the freedom to do that. Find something you have the freedom to do and do that, okay? But what it does is it creates a reboot point in your day. Whatever was going on, whatever was distracting, whatever was pulling you off course, boom. I have this thing. I do this thing. And I'm going to go do this thing now. And when I come back, I also get into the ritualistic co- component of, well, when I come back from this, the very first thing I do is blank. And it creates that, that, again, like an anchor point. So what I mean by that is literal anchor point. When you shoot a bow and arrow, you have an anchor point. And people shoot different styles. Some shoot with releases. Some shoot with the three fingers. We call it Apache style, et cetera. Some people will anchor at the corner of their mouth. That's actually I, I'm an Apache style three finger shooter. I anchor at the corner of my mouth. Some people will use a release and anchor under their chin. Some will anchor way back up under their ear. Careful, we don't catch the ear when we do that. It hurts. But my point is that if you're going to shoot accurately with a bow, then there's some method and anchor point that's consistent. And that way, whether you're shooting with sights, whether you're shooting instinctually the consistency allows the adjustment to the target. And when we create ritualistic scheduling in our life, not everything, just a few things, we create these anchor points around our day. And then we tend to stay on schedule just like the the archer stays on target. Um, Next, I think that everybody should have some sort of a pure hobby in your life. A lot of people have lots of hobbies. But I'll tell you what's ruined our hobbies. The internet. The internet. Everybody wants to share everything that they're doing online. I make a living out of that, so I'm not going to put it down. But isn't there a place for something that I'm not going to add a step. I'm not going to add taking pictures of it, at least not all the time. I'm not going to create a YouTube channel around it. I'm going to have something that I do. It's for me. And, you know, when my... My, my grandfather was young enough to still get around and stuff on both sides. They both had their little hobbies, little thing they would do. And men in general, and I think women did too, just you know, being a male growing up, following the male role model. That's what you, you notice more. I'd say my grandmother had a hobby that was uh, needlepoint, doing needlepoint embroidery work and things like um, crochet, knitting. She did stuff like that my one grandfather would just disappear into his little shop and he did little woodworking things. And he was a great man. He did a lot of things with me, but there was times when he was just, uh, Grandpa's going to go do something by himself for a while. Bye. Go play. And, you know, there was no Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or YouTube to share it on. So it was a thing that you did purely for the joy of it. You didn't really care if anybody liked it. You liked it for its own sake. And I've realized like this is something I've gotten weak with because you know most of the stuff that I like to do is centered around self sufficiency, self reliance, independence, and liberty. And well, one of the things I've I've kind of put off getting set back up and doing regularly is reloading. And so one of the decisions I made is is I'm getting my my back shop set up. I'm going to get all my reloading gear set up back there. And I'm, I'm not going to share it with you guys. I'm going to be a big old selfish meanie and have the thing be for me. There's tons of websites and email lists and uh, YouTube videos and stuff like that on reloading. It's going to be for me. I don't care that you don't get to see it. And it's a, it's probably not going to be the only thing like that, but it's going to be a thing. So there might be some point where I just I'm just done for the day. Go out and load up some rounds and then go out to the range and see how they perform maybe start reloading and more so It's sec probably can find more time to do that than i can to shoot so maybe i start reloading some special loads for friends just because you know i mean there is something to having and, and fishing is my other thing it's one of my pure loves and it's One of the things I've been better about getting away and fishing, but I've even found myself, you know, hey, look, we're putting fish in the tank. Whatever. You know, at some point, you just need these things in your life to be there because you want them. And so a pure hobby, what I mean by that is, and I'm not saying you never post a picture of this thing you built or whatever, but, you know, you should do a hell of a lot more of it than sharing it through social media, through video, what have you. You know, and if you're sharing it, share it with people that love it, that want to do it with you. I think it's great to have friends that participate in your hobbies. Uh, next, I talked about circadian rhythm. And I think it's one of the things we have, we have most disrupted in our lives. And it's, it, I, I believe it's actually very difficult for the body to function biologically the way that it's supposed to without circadian rhythm. If you look at animals, unless something goes wrong... Animals have very consistent circadian rhythms. I can watch my ducks and I know that about this time in the day, when they're all out farting around, that they're all gonna kinda just group up into little groups, go off into the shade somewhere and take a nap. And I know about, you know, a certain time and it's usually it changes through the year with the light, because they are photo, you know, they, they 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 respond to photo period, but they're gonna get up and they're gonna go out and do a little roam around and they're gonna go over here. It had my dog you know, they have times they like to play and they have times they like to sleep and they're going to follow that circadian rhythm and, and biological organisms in general follow circadian rhythm which again is a daily rhythm sleep and rest and exercise and eating what have you. When, you when you're a hunter you know circadian rhythm is hardwired into animals certain times of the day for a certain game at certain times of the year it's just not even worth hunting Unless you're going to go out and somehow push or move the game, it's just it's going to go lay down. It's going to go bed down. You set up because you know there's a feeding time. With, with with just something simple like dove hunting. If you know a place where there's gravel and water, then you hunt there in the evening because those birds come in to pick crit and get water before they go to roost. If you know an area that's common roosting, you might, you know, you don't want to hunt on a roost because that disrupts the bird's ability to roost. You don't want to do that, but you know a pathway to that roost point. You hunt that. In the mornings, you could come out to the fields to feed initially, so you hunt that flyway. So all creatures have this circadian rhythm. The reason humans have ruined our circadian rhythm is we invented something called a clock and a calendar, which you think would make us easier and, and better at keeping our circadian rhythm. But, you know, on Saturday, I don't have to work, you know, or I don't have to work at the office, or I don't have to work in my business. So I sleep a little later. Some days I got to get up earlier because I got more shit to get done. And other days I get to sleep to a normal period of time. And damn it, it's Sunday and I'm going to sleep in because I want to. I don't think any of these things are wrong or bad, you know. And when we travel, it's difficult. I got to get up at four in the morning and I don't usually do that because I got to get on an airplane and they won't wait for me. You know, I made a deal with the airlines a long time ago and they've been really good at keeping it. And that is if I don't show up, they can leave without me, right? So I have that, that concrete reality that I have to adapt to. But in most instances, there is something I can do. Let's say that it's Saturday and you usually get up at 6.30 in the morning for work. And you sleep till 7.30, 8 o'clock on Saturdays because the kids stay in bed long enough to let you. You know what you should do? Get out of bed at 6.30. Go look out the window. Go take a pee. Go pet the dog on the head. Walk around the house and enjoy the fact that it's quiet. Go back to bed. You've still gotten up. You've still bookmarked the time. You've kept the body's rhythm consistent. You've just chosen now to go back to bed. And what you'll find yourself doing is, you know that meditative time? You'll find yourself getting that for like, you'll go back to bed. Sometimes you go right out. But a lot of times you have like a half hour, you'll sit there. And instead of the times where you sit there at night and you think of things so you can't sleep, you think of things be- that you want to think about and you go through them in your mind and it becomes ritualistic and now our function stacking the steps. But the big thing is we maintain the circadian rhythm. And again, this is something like some of the stuff I'm teaching you today or talking about today you probably know is so basic we should be teaching this in school. But we don't because we're too busy trying to cram useless information into kids that they will never remember and never use. So work on that. The next one is, and, and, and I know that like one of my passions is cooking, so you might think, well, this is for Jack, not for me, because I'm not passionate about cooking. I actually think that this is something everybody should do. Cook something totally new and different at least twice a month, and, and I'll, I'll tell you why. One, it will force you to learn something, and I'm gonna talk about how important that is in, in a bit. But we need to keep learning new things. And if nothing else, you'll have to learn a new thing to cook. you have to do some research and find something out, find a recipe to try, whatever. So that alone will be something new. But, but here's what I find happens in most married couples. One side or the other of the couple tends to do most of the cooking. You don't do it together. Because one actually really likes it and generally really enjoys it and is really good at it. And the other one's like, I can do it if I have to. It, it, it's now, now, maybe you're lucky and you're in a marriage where both sides are passionate about cooking and you cook together all the time. But I, I find that most marriages, you know, somebody cleans up and somebody cooks. Day to day, there's nothing wrong with that. But one of the things we need to be doing in our relationships, to have stronger relationships, is doing stuff together. And I find when you're going to do something totally different... Since one person hasn't done it 800 times and doesn't know exactly what to do and isn't flying through it and you have to follow steps and both sides have to follow steps, then the the, the partner that usually gets pushed out of the cooking can just take one of the steps. And we did, um, I don't remember if it was Hello Fresh or Blue Apron or, we did one of those for a while. We eventually stopped because I didn't feel like we were learning anything and you can only put arugula on a plate and call it a salad so many times before you're bored with that, but... You know, it did give us some new things to cook, and it did give us you know, a procedure. And what it did is it let Dorothy say, well, I'll take this step, and I'll do it. So we found ourselves cooking together. But what we realized is by simply picking something new, we can do it ourselves. It costs less money. It's more convenient, et cetera, to do. But you have to st- stick to that. So I think there's there's that too. But I also think that like, since you're going to eat anyway, one of the big problems we have in our diet is we we have made eating something we do because we have to, or as a false joy. So if you're eating and you're not even thinking about the food you're eating, you're not contemplating the flavors in it, you're not considering it. You find yourself always eating on the couch, you know. Uh, you're eating mindlessly, even if you're having a discussion, you're not even thinking about the food. It's just lom 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 lom. Then you disconnect yourself from your diet. And you lose one of the real joys in life. If you're making something completely new and different, it kind of begs you, hey, dummy, you just figured out how to make this. You might want to slow down and try it and think to yourself, well, I actually want to make this again, but next time I'm going to add more garlic to it. Or, gee, this would be better if it had been seared a little bit longer. Or, you know, if we would have added this. Or, man, this other thing that I learned to make last month would really go well with this. And also the mind is open and it's, see, we, we, we get in ruts and we get wrapped up in bullshit and nonsense and we need something to pull us out of it. Nothing does that like food. Every culture in our world has celebrations around food and meals and cooking and rituals around cooking. We could do with a little bit more ritual and, and and excitement and education in our lives. So cooking is just an easy way to do that because you got to do it anyway. Next, I think... And this is one that I think everybody can do, but not everybody's going to do. Strive to develop your life in a way where you can become location independent. What's location independent? I'm location independent. If there was a base on the moon, and that base came with a DSL connection, and I could do my show from the moon in a crater with a dome over it, I could do my show on the moon. I can live anywhere I want, I don't have to go to an office. All I need is an internet connection. And a lot of you think, well, this is an entrepreneur thing and not everybody can do this. Um, It's getting more and more the case that if you develop the right skills in your profession, that someone will employ you as a remote employee or at least partially remote. And partially remote is a great way to get fully remote. When you get an agreement with an employer, well, I can work from home two days a week. Well, we'll try that you know, you're good, we don't want to lose you, we understand, we're not totally comfortable with this yet, we've never done it before, but you start working from home two days a week, man, when you get that opportunity, you work your ass off on those days, you get more done than they've ever seen you get done before, and they say, wow, you really get a lot done when you work from home, well, of course I do, I save two and a half hours a day that I'm not in my car, When I get up, I go right to work. And all of a sudden, eh, you know, working from home seems like a good day. And then, you know, if they they don't play ball, you start shopping your, your, your skills around and find a new employer. And you learn the reality. You're never more wanted by an employer. I don't care how good you are. They never want you more than the day before they hire you, people take things for granted so quickly, and your employer is no different. They really are not. And what I mean is, like, I call it the cake, the cake lesson. So the cake lesson is, or pie lesson. I usually use pie for this. If I came to your house and I bought you a pie today, you'd be like, Jack, that's that. Especially if it's your favorite kind of pie, Jack, that's that's really nice of you. you didn't have to be. No, I just thought you deserved a pie. And it's, you know, today's Tuesday. Well, next Tuesday, you see my car pull up and I come up to the house and I have a pie for you again. You say, wow, two pies in a row, man. I I, I don't know what to think. And I go, you know, I just thought you'd like a pie today. We visit for a while and I leave. Like the third or fourth time, you might be like, dude, you really don't need to be bringing me a pie anymore. But once you realize I'm going to bring you a pie and I start figuring out all the pies you like and I'm bringing you like a different pie every week. So I bring you four different pies a month and eventually you're like, I get a pie every Tuesday, and you actually start planning in your life that I don't have to buy pies anymore. Jack brings me one every Tuesday, and this week we get pecan. You might actually start planning your your meal Tuesday nights around pecan pies for the second Tuesday of the month. So I show up after a couple months of doing this. I'm under no obligation to bring you a pie. You didn't ask me to bring you a pie. You, in fact, told me I don't always have to bring you a pie, And this time, for the first time in months, I don't have a pie. You know what you're thinking? Hey, jerk, where's my pie? I rely on that pie now. This is what happens with employees. And your boss, your manager, has all their own shit to do, and they're probably not living their life the way I'm describing today. So they just need to get shit done too, and they don't have time for your crap. And no matter how important it is, it's piddly crap to them, because my shit's more important, because I'm farther up the stream, so I get more shit Dump down on me. People say shit rolls downhill, but the big turds start at the top. And each level eats some shit on the way down. So the guy at the bottom actually gets the least. That's how the real world works. But the day before they hire you, you're a solution to a problem. And I'll do whatever I can to get this one thing not having to worry about anymore. And then there's other options like contracting. Contracting. Maybe you have to go somewhere, but maybe you can live anywhere you want. I know quite a few people that are in the medical industry that are basically contract, uh, contract nurses. If they decide they don't want to live in Jacksonville anymore, they can move to Atlanta, and their agency will have them doing jobs the week they get there. So look for some level of location independence. Because once you live that way, you will figure out how to keep it. It is the most liberating thing in the world. For me, you know, I had to go a lot of places, but I did over 10 years in sales. I worked from my home office. I traveled lots of places, but I had to go to the company office twice a year. Twice a year for corporate meetings. They were bullshit, by the way, and weren't necessary. There's a lot of freedom there. Strive for it. Make it a goal. You don't achieve every goal, but you absolutely never achieve goals you don't have. Uh, next, I think you should have teachers and students in your life. And some of that can be like today, through a podcast. I think that's great. I'm glad many of you see seen me as a teacher. I hope I live up to your expectations. But I mean, you need people in your life. And I think that a well-balanced life has you fulfilling the role of a student and a teacher. For you Star Wars people, right? A Padawan and a Jedi. And... I think the best and most healthy relationships are mutual teacher and student relationships. And what I mean is you have friends that, hey, today you're learning from them something that they're good at that you didn't know, but tomorrow they're learning from you. This is a true reciprocal relationship. And it's so important because I'm going to tell you a fundamental truth is you become more like the people in your life every day. And if the people in your life are takers, no matter how good your heart is and how much they take from you, you become a taker. If they're givers, you become a giver. If they're the type of man you want to be, you become more of the type of man you want to be. And it, it's not just ethics and morals, it's everything. When I was very young, and I first came to Texas after I got out of the army, I got a job packing boxes in a warehouse. And you see in something stupid like this how fast it happens. Now, as a packer, you had a quota. And as long as you made your quota, they stayed off your ass. But if you went high enough above your quota, you actually got some piecework, some extra money. And there were about 35 packers in this factory. And I was generally in the top 50% and well over my quota, and I would make a little bit of extra money. And there were like two guys that were always number one and number two. And they would pack almost twice as much as people like me that were the median were packing, even though I wasn't lazy, and even though I thought I was going as fast as I could. And there weren't a lot of really good mentors and smart people in this job. There was one foreman that he did at least understand this principle. And he would recognize, like, you don't do this with everybody because it won't work with everybody. This person has to be open and receptive. In the old Chinese parable, you have to have an empty cup if the master is going to pour more tea into it. Otherwise, it will overflow and you don't get any. So recognizing, like, I'm really giving it 100%, but I have more potential, he takes this guy, Nate, who was the number one packer in the plant, and he says, you're going to pack with Nate for half the day today. So Nate, having been through this before, says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pack the boxes, you close them, you label them, and try to keep up. I don't give a shit how good you are. I got to put a piece of tape on the box, slap the label on the box, mark it, and put it over here for the guy that loads it on the truck. That's that's what I have to do, and you're telling me to try to keep up? Um, Ten minutes in, I felt like I was going to die. I, I had never struggled so much to do something so simple in my life. This guy looked like a machine packing those boxes. It looked like it was an automated system that already knew every single thing and how it would fit in that box. And that's pretty much what it was. His mind had gotten there. But it was also something else. He would do some things I had been uncomfortable doing. He'd bend a box a little bit to get it to fit. The thing in there wasn't going to break. It wasn't going to hurt anything. This was a distribution type thing where they weren't going to be putting that box on a shelf when it got there. It was going to be unpacked and what have you. So he was comfortable doing things I wasn't, and he just operated at a level that I I didn't. And I'll tell you what happened. I worked with him for about three and a half, four hours. I got to the point where I could keep up closing boxes and labeling with him. He never told me how to package anything. He never told me what to do. He never explained it. I didn't touch anything except a closed box. Grab a piece of scrap cardboard to fill up the space, slap it on there and do it. I went back to my line. I went from being in the middle to like top six. I never got up to where those guys were at the real top. I didn't really want to. I wanted out of there. They had just given me a full-time job and I was like, They're going to be pissed when I quit within a few weeks. And I got my first opportunity contracting with MCI after that. But I came up so far in ability from just being with somebody for four hours to pack a box. Now, if that happens with packing a box, and you're surrounded by people who are not the moral type of person you want to be around, if you don't think you're going to come down in your morality, you're fooling yourself. And if you surround yourself with the kind of people that you want to strive to be more like, then you're going to come up. And I'm going to tell you this. If you do that, you will be a teacher and a student. It will happen naturally. You will not have to contrive it. You won't have to figure it out. Because what you'll find in many instances when you're unbalanced with the people around you from a morality standpoint, and I don't mean that to be your religion or whatever. I mean they have to be the kind of person and what they do that you want to be. Their work ethic, the way they treat others, their charity, all that stuff. When you're not balanced in that world, you find yourself almost in a competition because a human human state, when unbalanced, becomes competitive very, very quickly. And I want to know more than you about this thing. right? Well, when you find yourself balanced and you find yourself completely receptive to what that person has to offer and completely giving in what you have to offer and it sounds spiritual I guess it can be but it's really not it's just human dynamics so be a teacher and a student at all times I also think journaling is something that we don't do enough of anymore Um, I told a story on my presentation at Liberty Forum the article that I wrote where I said people are so upset and worried about this thing or that thing the outrage of the week and it was called you know, how to tell if you're an easily led moron and so for 12 weeks, every day, or at least once a week, you wrote down whatever you were most pissed off about, whatever meme you were sharing on Facebook that you were so enraged about, and then you took that piece of paper and you clipped it to the front of the book. <coughs> and you just keep doing that for at least 12 weeks. And then you go back and read it uh, after 12 weeks, and you'll realize like most of the stuff that you really thought was important, you don't even remember and wouldn't even have remembered if you didn't write it down. And I think there's there's a value there, but I think in, in general, journaling is like a waking dream. It helps us sort out the things. So that's what dreams are. Dreams dreams that seem all contrived and discombobulated and weird things going together. It's actually to your mind doing a reboot, saying like, okay, these two things don't justify, and since just they both don't justify, even though they don't belong together, I'm gonna stick them together, right? And next thing you know, you're driving a car on a roof or something like that, or uh, you know what have you. And uh, But your mind's actually working things out. Journaling is, is a waking form of that. We're, we're going through the things that we think are important, and it could be anything. Like, I, I think there's value just in every day, you know, writing down when you woke up, what was the temperature like? What did it look like outside? How did it make you feel? I know coming in touch with your feelings is not very manly. I'm not even talking about coming in touch. Just just in general, like it's gray and rainy and I felt depressed today. And, and then, you know, you, maybe you have a kick-ass day, and a couple of weeks from then, you, you, you open that journal and look back page back through and go, that day that I was depressed, I got oh lot of shit done. Maybe it's okay that it's gray and rainy out sometimes, and maybe you just get on with life. And you just sort these things out for yourself. But I think reading what you wrote is very important. I I found some of my old journals, and a lot of the stuff was like, you know, when I was really big into, like, physics and things like that, and, you know, postulating some universal theory and then realizing like even if that was wrong that was actually really insightful and that's what my mind's capable of and then there's other things like i really hope this happens and then i'm like i don't even remember giving a shit about that now it's it's also valuable and it puts things in perspective next take walks especially off the pavement but anywhere so one way i really made myself do this was not getting off the pavement when i couldn't When I had my company up in uh, Frisco, I could disappear for the majority of my lunch times, no problem. And the thing is, it's summer. It's Texas. You're dressed in office clothes. (laughs) You're not going home until 6 or 7 o'clock. Take a walk. We have this really nice little walkway around a pond at our office center. But in August, yeah, you can't do that. You're going to stink. So I'd go to the mall or I'd go to Home Depot and I'd just walk You know, with a little bit of a clip to it. You'd be surprised. A couple laps around Home Depot, you put some miles on. And maybe I'd be walking through there, like thinking about a project I'm working on. Now I'll go down this aisle and just, what could I do with this? Or what I, I used to talk about this. That, that's how regular it was back when I was doing the show from the car. I would talk about my walks through Home Depot that day, on some of the episodes. But walking, there's so many things. One, it forces the ritual that we talked about. It forces the contemplation, the meditation when you walk, especially when you walk alone. But it's also an innate human characteristic. Human beings are walkers. We're not runners. Now, I know some say, well, according to Paleolithic records, because we could run for long distances, we used to yeah, whatever. I don't care. We are not running creatures. We are walking creatures. If you look at the human body, we are built to sprint and we are built to walk. Before, we had horses and carriages and cars and trucks and buses. The only way to get from A to B was to walk. And in general, we walked. We ran when we were trying to chase something or when something important was going on or when something was trying to kill us. So walking is in our DNA. It is who we are. And we don't walk enough. So just walking is huge. Next, Spend some time with dogs. I'm serious. Dogs. Now, I think any animal can be beneficial. I like talking to the ducks and all. Part of it is you can talk to a dog without feeling like you're talking to thin air, right? You can have a conversation that you maybe wouldn't have with a person. The dog doesn't care. But I believe the dog and the human, over evolutionary period, have become very much linked together. There is no animal that Bonds with human beings the way the dog does. And there's no animal that we bond with the way that we bond with a dog. And I believe that somewhere in nature that that was destined to be the case. That the dog and the human are meant to be companions. Say, I can't own a dog, I don't have a dog, am I doomed? You know, giving yourself a hobby, function stacking some of these other things, ritual, what have you, I'll bet you that somewhere near you, is an SPCA, SPCA, animal shelter, something like that, where they're happy to have volunteers that come in, that just pet dogs, that put a leash on them, take them out in an exercise area, walk a few dogs, put them up, and check on them. I guarantee you that exists. It could be that. Now, remember, not all these are mandatory either. These are suggestions. So if this is just not you, you're not a dog person. You're not doomed. You don't have to. But then find some some analog. You know, some people are cat people. There's a reason there's such a thing as therapy animals. And I'm not talking about the emotional support peacock, which, by the way, is a horrible thing because it, it, it hurts people that really have support animals that need them. And many of the times people that have support animals that need them, they need them for health reasons, not just emotional support. That's amazing what some of these animals can do. But I mean, there's a reason like just basic support animals and, and therapy animals exist. Where you have an old folks home. And these people, they sit there every day and they, 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 they just don't have much going on. And some group will bring in a couple dogs, a couple cats. And they just pet them, talk to them. And they have these dogs that are trained or they're just older dogs and they know to be calm. And they sense that person needs them and they go there and they're with them. And the person's life gets better because of it. That can't exist unless there is an intrinsic bond between the two species. And I believe there is. So if you can, spend some time with the dogs. And I'm serious. Next, if something makes you truly unhappy, fix it or dump it. If you have something in your life that's just making you miserable, including your job, fix it. Figure out how to make yourself happy around it. Or find something else to do. Well, i got to pay the bills. I don't disagree. I didn't say dump it tomorrow morning. Put yourself on a path, on a plan to get out of the thing that makes you miserable because you can't be a good father, you can't be a good student, you can't be a good teacher, you can't be a good friend, you can't be a good person. When you're judging it against your capability, I'm not saying everybody with a miserable job is a bad person, but when you judge it against your potential for what you could be, you cannot get even close to your potential when you're miserable. Now, there's a balance here too. Because we have so many young people. I just don't feel fulfilled in my career. Well, you're 21, you got your first job yesterday, shut up and work. It's a place for that too. To be able to find happiness in success first. But when you really have someone, something, or some place that makes you miserable, either figure out how to change that or dump it. And sometimes it's actually not that hard to change it. I remember this one person that I was kind of a mentor towards, and he was really miserable with his job. And when I looked at everything, I thought, like, there's not actually a good reason for you to be miserable with your job. Your hours aren't bad. Your pay's not bad. It is a good starting point. You do have a a career path here, and it will get better, and you know that. And I guess maybe there was a little bit of that whole millennial thing with I'm not totally fulfilled going on. But overall, I was just like... I just think that your perspective's messed up. So I want you to entertain me. He said, well, how do I entertain you? I'm like, listen. I want you to go get a book and write down everything you like about your job. Well, there's not much. Well, it shouldn't take long. But for the next week... Anything you figure out that you like about your job, I want you to write it down and bring it back to me next week. And I you know, kind of even pushing it, like because that way, if we look for something new for you to do, then we know the things you want to keep in it. So off you go. Guy comes back, big ass list. Pays really good considering you know where I'm at in my life. I I get a lot of vacation time. Uh, I'm done at five o'clock and out the door and I don't have to look back at it. Some of the people that I work with are actually pretty cool. I am learning some new things. I'm just like, shit, this sounds like a pretty good job. But instead of saying that, which would have ruined it, I said, so here's what I want you to do. Every morning, before work, every day at lunch, and every day before you leave, I want you to pull this list out and I want you to read it and if anything new springs to mind, I wanted to add it to your list. The list didn't get much bigger. Got a little bigger. But after about a month, I said, how are you liking your job now? He goes, you know what? I, I don't know what it is. But man, those people at my job, they've all really changed. I, I Actually, I'm really enjoying working there now. Nobody changed. Nobody changed. Eric changed it was Eric that changed and all it was was being grateful for the things that were good now eventually he found a much better path in life than the one he was on I'd he found another step to that path but for the time being it was actually a really great place to be he had just convinced himself that it wasn't so sometimes it's not dumping sometimes it's gaining the perspective but fix it or dump it Next, plan some things well in advance just to look forward to them. Like, and I don't mean like, well, someday I'm gonna. I mean, plan a vacation three or four months before you're gonna take it. Where you're gonna go, make your reservations, all that shit, just so you have something out there to look forward to. Plan a, plan a class you're gonna take. Plan a weekend. But instead of like, it's a weekend, so it's not a big deal. No, plan one out a month and a half, two months. So that you're like, I'm working towards something. You know, if you're going to come up on something that's going to be an achievement, plan a celebration to go with the achievement. It it, it just changes your perspective so much. And then my last one, and this might be the most important one, and the one that gets challenging as you get older. So many of these things actually get easier as you get older, especially if if you get them into your life when you're young. This last one, and and I, it scares me sometimes to see myself struggling it, with it and realizing how many people in my life I just go, what the hell? Why don't you just go do that? And that is learn to do something new frequently. Now, I know a lot of you would say this is kind of shocking to me because, Jack, you're always doing something new. And I am, but I'm always doing something new that's relatively easy to learn or add on. Where when I was like 30... And I wanted a website. I wouldn't just spend a weekend torturing myself to learn how to do basic HTML coding and do a website. And I built a website. It was shit, but I built one. And then it got, I got better at it. You know, when I wanted to learn SEO, I was really more on the sales side of things then. But I was like, here's how I can justify it. And I went out and taught myself SEO. I became what I believe at the time when I was doing it professionally, one of the best in the country at it. Really, I mean, probably top twenty in the in the whole country. Because I wanted to learn when, I, when it when was like a new type of fishing, I would just buy the shit, rig it up, screw it up, but I would learn. I had this friend named Hal passed away a few years ago now that I remember did a show about it. Not much older than me, about ten years older than me. And uh, remember, like we, we would be, t- he was a professional fishing guide. We talk about, a, like, well, we should try drift fishing. Yeah, maybe. He thought he didn't really want to do it. Why? He was uncomfortable with it because he was expected to be good and he didn't know how it would work out. I'm not taking you out. I'm not your client here. with the two guys drinking beer and drifting around in the water. And, and I, I've heard Joel Salatin speak about this. With like, we're not going to make the changes in agriculture with the farmers that we have. The average farmer today is 66. When you're 66, you don't have time to learn a new way to farm. You're just trying to get yourself to retirement before you die. And it's actually not that uncommon for people to be pretty good at learning something new. But there's a difference between learning something new. By listening to this show today, you probably learn one thing new. Even if it's just a new perspective. But learning to do something new is different. And I'm saying, man, when I was 30, 35, I'd look for like... I'll go learn how to do all this shit for this one damn thing. And now it's like, yeah, you know, I can hire somebody to do that, and I wouldn't have to worry about it. You know, I'm not going to go out and learn how to do Flagstone. I got a guy doing that for me right now, for my outdoor kitchen. Probably a good decision, but I don't even want to learn how to do it. And it's okay, because there's there's a, there's a balance here. But there's a certain point where, like, I've learned to do so much, I'm starting to become content with what I know. But I don't think if we're not pushing ourselves every day to to figure out that one thing I'm going to learn this week or at least this month, there's a new thing I can do that I didn't know how to do before. Man, you know, you, you, you go to a point where you stop growing as a person. There's only one way to go when you stop growing. Decline. It's true of everything. Business, business stops growing, goes into decline. Absolutely the case. A school, stops growing, goes into decline. A church, stops growing, goes into decline. You give me an entity, whether it's a, a physical living being or a, a, non, a non-biological entity like a business. It is a constant rule. It's either in growth or a decline. You don't see businesses, people, schools, churches, communities level off and stay there. So if you want to continue to grow as a being, then you have to force yourself to learn something new every day. Anyway, I hope today's show was good for you guys. I had to record it on a, a different computer because of my, my outage problem here. And uh, I'll see how the mixing goes. But I don't have a lot of edits, so it shouldn't be that bad. And uh, I want to remind you guys, if you like the, the show and the work I do, one really easy way to help support our show is to do your online shopping through tspaz.com. You go to tspaz.com. You see all the reviews I've done on uh, Amazon. And anything you buy once you go through T-SPAS helps support the Survival Podcast and the work that we do. Today I have for you one of my favorite fertility aids for your gardening. I know it's still winter, but it's February 20th. We're eight days from the end of February. We hit March. March, we're going into spring. Time to start building up that fertility. Those early beds when it's cold, even when you have all kinds of compost and all, the biology's not up yet. The plants just don't have stuff that's bioavailable. You want a good organic fertilizer, Dr. Earth. Is a four-four-four fertilizer. That means it's balanced. Four parts of each NPK: nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. That means we don't have to bulk up somewhere else. When we do the one thing. They do have a liquid. I like it too, but the solid I think is best for this. It's part of my fertility regime. It's made up of Doctor Earth Premium Gold, which is today's item. GS Plant Foods Liquid Kelp Fertilizer, Garrett Juice Plus, uh, and Endo uh, Mycorrhizal Fungal Inoculation. Uh, these are the things that I believe really turbocharge my results in my gardening, and I think they can help you too. Time to start building that fertility up, and this is a great place to do it. But remember, as always, you can always find what you're looking for through t- TSPAZ.com, TSPAZ.com. Go there, click a link, do your shopping. After that, you help support our show. That brings us to our song of the day. Now, um, since my list of songs from John Adam is on my computer that won't start right now and God I hope it's just a power supply issue Um, I don't have his uh, song of the day so I had to pick one of my own I've been enjoying the Jimmy Buffett I've been playing for you guys lately and I thought I found one today that goes really good with what today's show is really all about which is developing contentment in your life you might think that since I talk so much about doing and striving and learning and action and lists and getting things done that it's about strive. But we strive so that we can become content. And we want to balance contentment with still wanting to learn and to do things. But to be overall happy in our lives. That's what this song is about. It's called I Have Found Me a Home. And its I think this song, if I remember right from Jimmy, is about Birmingham, Alabama, which is where he grew up. Some of the lines of the song, you know, none of the streets there look the same. Everything is... Different and new and unique, but yet the same. I know where to go. Got a little of my bike. I tool around and go to the bars. Women there are nice, what have you. Whatever it is for you. Pace is right. The weather's right. And whether it be a physical location or whether it be a, a, a point in life where you're truly happy with what you have, my biggest wish for all of you is that you all find yourself a home, find yourself some peace. That's what the song's about. That's what today's show is really about. With that, this has been Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
1: The days drift by, they don't have names. None of the streets here look the same. There's so many quiet places Smiling eyes match the smiling faces and I have found everything I own Cause I have found me a home My old red bike gets me around To the bars and the beaches of my town There aren't many reasons I would leave I have found this peace And the ladies are demanding here They'll never ask too much When you come in off a cold love that's should A nice warm touch Yes, I have found can have the rest of everything I own, cause I have found me a home, and the days drift by, they don't have names, and none of the streets here look the same. There aren't many reasons I would leave because I have found me. Some peace. Yes, I. Everything I own Cause I have Found me home Yes I